right, well, hey, grab your, grab your Bibles and head on over to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at chapter 14 here this morning. And, and for the next couple weeks, um, yeah, really until we have the prayer and praise Sunday, we're going to be thinking about what Paul says as, as we return, uh, kind of more specifically again, back to a conversation about spiritual gifts and where we took a break in chapter 13 of looking specifically at gifts and trying to define gifts and kind of thinking real theologically together about it. We're, we're returning to that. And um, one of the things that Paul does in, verse, in chapter 14 is he gives, he gives some clarity um, to some Corinthian behavior and also to some desires that he has for them. He gives some commands to them. And um, as, as we walk through this chapter, um, it, it does talk about the gift of tongues. It talks about a, a tongue. The, we're going to give some definition to that. Um, in some ways, these are things that aren't necessarily going to be big active parts of our body. And we'll step into that as we give some explanation to that, as I try to give some definition to what the, the gift of tongues are, and, and as we work through that. And so, um, I, bef- I don't want us to just think of the next couple weeks as just uh, weeks, to, weeks to just gain information, because that's not ever the goal. Whenever we open the scriptures, whenever we come to and study together God's word, the goal is not ever or only information. The goal is transformation. The goal is growth. If the goal is to, to have a deeper relationship with Jesus, to know him more, to love him more, to know of his love for us more, to be challenged in our obedience, to be led to surrender. And so as we, as we step back into kind of the theological, um, I don't want us to miss what the scriptures are intended to do. Because God's word, it is living and active, and it is sharper than any double-edged sword, and it is intended to lead us, the written word is intended to lead us to the word made flesh. And unfortunately, there's a way, and I know I'm prone to it, that we can open the written word and miss the word made flesh. We can memorize facts, we can know definitions, we can have details and information, and yet we can miss the, the relationship. So just as we step back into that, I mean, we were there in chapter 12. I mean, thought theologically in chapter 12, as we kind of step back into that, I just want us to not forget what it is that we're ultimately trying to do. We're trying to be more like Jesus. We're trying to understand what he's called us to. We're trying to understand and unpack what he has gifted us for. And we're trying to walk in obedience to him as we make disciples who make disciples, as we do this thing that Paul will talk about again in 14, building up the body. 
So just to uh, review where we have been thus far through and beginning in chapter 12, now to catch us back up to speed, uh, we began thinking and talking about how, the, how spiritual gifts are not signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are not spiritual gifts. They're, they're both real. They're both in the Bible. You can find them both in the New Testament. You can find signs and wonders in the Old Testament. But there was a limited time in which God used the apostles and three other individuals for signs and wonders. But he has given gifts to his church. And those two categories are distinct. They're not the same. They're different. And so God has given to his church spiritual gifts. And those gifts are for a purpose. They're for the purpose of making disciples. And as I just said, Paul will use the phrase throughout all of 1 Corinthians. But we're going to see it again highlighted in chapter 14. It's for the purpose of building up the body. So where Jesus in Matthew 28 said, Go into all the world and make disciples of all men, teaching them everything that I've commanded to you, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We, we consider that rightly so. The Great Commission, and that is no different than what Paul says when he uses the phrase, building up the body. I would submit to you those two expressions are synonymous and they mean the same thing. And so God has called us. We have been given a command to make disciples, to build up the body, and we've been gifted to do just that. But along the way, we've got to also be careful about who it is that we follow, because there are false teachers, there are false apostles, there are false prophets, there are men and women that we should not give our attention to, and the scriptures give us some clarity about what we should think about and just evaluating those individuals that want our attention and whether or not we should give them our attention. Whether or not we should listen to them on the television or buy their books or whatever it might be. The scriptures give us some clarity and along with that there's some warnings as well. And Paul writes back to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. says that Satan's, Satan's servants are servants of righteousness. Sometimes on the surface you don't see, but there's a way to distinguish. There's a way to discern. We've got to be careful who we choose to follow. After that, we began thinking through just the different variety of gifts that have been given. And Paul says there's a variety of gifts. There's a variety of places of service. There's a variety of results that take place. And in that week we looked at and thought through how there, there's sovereignty over the variety. That you and I are not all given the same gift. We don't all need to be given the same gift. There's sovereignty over the variety. That the gift we have been given or the gifts that we have been given are given to us because those were the gifts that God wanted us to have. And the same is true for others. But there's unity within the variety. And rather than saying my gift is better than your gift or your gift is better than my gift or I'm too old to use my gift or you're too young to use your gift, we need to see that there's actually unity that God desires in the use of the gifts because he has given to his church gifts. And there's a purpose amid the variety and that would be for the common good, for the building up of 
the body. And so what Paul does after that, he lists the gifts, which we'll not think through specifically this morning. In verses 8, 9, and 10, he lists eight different gifts there in chapter 12. And then he introduces this metaphor of a body as how you and I are to think about the gifts. And it's where we see the sovereignty and the unity and the purpose highlighted again in that God, Paul says that God composed the body and he arranged the body and he, he, he decided and determined how these things were going to be. And like our human bodies, our different parts have different functions. And we're not all eyes and we're not all ears and we're not all toes. There's different parts to the body. And that's the way the body of Christ is. Not everybody has the same gift because there's a variety of gifts given. But like in a human body where that variety and the variety of parts all work together for the purpose of health or maybe running or thinking, whatever it might be, you and I are to think that way about God's body. But then as we spent several weeks looking at through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, gifts are good, but they will not endure forever. Gifts are good, but they will not last. There's actually a shelf life on the gifts. And in the tail end of chapter 13, Paul picks on three gifts to highlight this shelf life that spiritual gifts have. Because there will come a point in time where the body no longer needs to be built because it will be mature and complete and lacking in nothing because one day we will be perfect and be spending the rest of our days in eternity with the Lord. At that point, there's no need for gifts. But what endures beyond that and what endures throughout eternity will be love. So gifts will end, but love never does and then in chapter 14 Paul begins to then give some more specific instruction on what is more than likely the favorite quote-unquote gift of the Corinthians that being this ecstatic utterance that being this spectacular kind of we've been using the word spectacular and flair this expression of the supernatural that has this kind of shocking um, ability to it or, or expression of it where it's like, holy smokes, they're talking in another language or I can't understand what they, how spiritual are they? I mean, Paul seems to now take issue with that particular line of thinking and he does so and contrasts it with both prophecy and the speaking of known languages unknown to the speaker. And so we'll step in and through that over the next couple weeks. But before we go any further, let's spend some time praying. And then we'll try to make heads or tails out of verses 1 to 5 as we jump in and get going. Well, God, to that end, we do pray. We do ask that you would just come and meet with us in a special way. That we would have ears to hear, that we would understand what it is that you have said and what it is that you have written. But God, that we wouldn't miss, we wouldn't miss the big picture. That we would let your written word lead us to the word made flesh. And we would 
we would understand more of who Jesus is and more of what he has done in us and this, this call that he has given to us to make disciples. To be building up the body. And so God, help us to not just walk away this morning with more information. But God, help us to walk away this morning with a greater desire to live in submission. To obey the call that you've given to us. And to do it in ways that are faithful and obedient to what your word says. And so to that end, we ask for your grace and for you to meet with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's go to verses 1 to 5 in 1 Corinthians 14 there. We'll read them all together and then we'll just begin stepping back through and trying to make sense of them. Paul writes, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you to all speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is the one gra- is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So there's a lot of things going on in 1 Corinthians 14. And this is this is one of those challenging chapters where it's just there's there's a lot of confusion in a lot of ways and I'm not sure we're going to solve all of it. But we're going to aim to try to be faithful in unpacking and understanding it. And so, go back to verse 1. Paul leads off with a command. He's just finished chapter 13, telling us that love never ends. The gifts will. They're good. They have a point. They have a place. But they're going to not last forever. Love, however, does. And so, the command there leads off 14. Pursue love. That word pursue means to run after. To do everything you can to find, to do something with intense effort, to to let that consume you is what he is thinking about there. It's kind of what I feel like I did when I was trying to win and woo Carrie's heart. I was with intense effort, probably at sometimes overplaying my hand, trying to pursue her. Probably came off a little overbearing at time. Well, not probably. I know for a fact that I did. But that's the idea there. That with intense effort, you run after something. And here what he wants us to run after is love. Love there being the the self-sacrificial love that he's just described with 16 different verbs throughout chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. He gives us the the action words that show what love is and then commands you and I to go 
and follow it. See, we're to use our gifts to love. Gifts are good, but love is better. And it, if we go back to the beginning of chapter 13, it doesn't really matter how you use your gifts if you don't have love. Gifts are good, but love is better, and you and I are to pursue love. Earnestly desire, then, next, spiritual gifts or things of the Spirit, or to be people of the Spirit. We're to strive for, to be dedicated to, to exert effort. I mean, that that word earnestly desire, I mean, it it means that you and I are to put the hand to the plow and, and, and go to work. But notice how one follows the other. We're to pursue love first. And secondly, desire spiritual gifts. Desire to be people of the Spirit. Desire the things of the Spirit. The gifts are good. They have a purpose. But if they're not done in love, it doesn't matter how great the gifts are. We've missed the point. And there Paul then gives us Now, the word especially, and he's going to begin drawing a contrast, which he will tease out and give greater clarity to over the next couple verses. Pursue the spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. The word especially just means rather. It's something that, it's a word that's used to just compare things. So, especially... Desire prophecy. Now, he's not given us his point of comparison yet. That actually comes in the next verse, because then he tells us, for, a one who, for, for one who speaks in a tongue. And there we have the two items that Paul is contrasting. And so the difference between a tongue and prophecy is that you and I, or the Corinthians, are to especially desire Prophecy. Now, what is prophecy? Because there's a major difference between Old Testament prophecy and New Testament prophecy. And as we've kind of worked through some definitions over the last several months, uh, the gift of prophecy is the Holy Spirit-empowered ability to proclaim and explain God's Word. And at times receive some what I will call spontaneous insights regarding the explanation and application of God's word. The gift of prophecy in the New Testament is unlike the gift of prophecy in the Old Testament. Where those individuals were foretelling the future and they were speaking, thus saith the Lord, words of God. In the New Testament... The spiritual gift of prophecy is the application, explanation, proclamation of what God has said. It does include, perhaps, like specific points of application along the way, but it is not the revealing of future details like we see the Old Testament prophets operating. There's some major distinctions. Old Testament prophets were required to be perfect. And there was a death penalty that came if they weren't perfect. But we see in the New Testament, in those operating with the gift of prophecy, in Acts 21, Agabus in particular, the standard of perfection was not required. Paul's going to say at the end of 
1 Corinthians 14, that you need to su- that, that the words of the prophet are subject. He's going to say in 1 Thessalonians 5, test them. See, there's a command that we, we evaluate and we, we think, and the standard of perfection was not required, neither was the submission to or obedience to the prophet as in the Old Testament. So when Isaiah, for example, comes saying, Thus saith the Lord, there was judgment and consequences for the people of Israel not listening. The same is no longer true for us today. So I've given you, a couple weeks ago I told you that I've had people tell me that that God's anointing on my life is to do music. And I've had other people tell me that God's anointing on my life is is to preach. I've had people tell me that I'm not good at either one of those things. And so what I just end up doing is just kind of file all of that away in the maybe and to be determined category. Because I don't know if what they're saying is fully true. But it could be. So just going to file it in the maybe folder. Going to spend some time thinking about it. Going to spend some time praying about it. Going to ask God to help me kind of think through and discern those things. And I'm going to be faithful to what he has given me clarity about. While I think through and try to discern the parts that there's not clarity for. That's how in part we see the New Testament gift of prophecy working. And the contrast Paul gives there then begins in verse 2. And he leads off with the word for, which is a signal to us that an explanation is coming. When you see the word for, he's going to begin explaining some things. So in this case, it's the reason why we're to earnestly desire prophecy. And here he says, for the reason is one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. There you have the word for show up again, and here's even a further explanation of what this speaking is. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. We, if you jump ahead to verse 4 real quick, we see that the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So let's just try to think through this here Real briefly, the description of a tongue that Paul gives here. And I'm going to tell you to to note the fact that it's singular. We're going to think through that a little bit more specifically next week. Because Paul's going to talk about a tongue in singular. And then he's going to talk about when we get to verse 5, he's going to talk about tongues, plural. I think there's a distinction there that we need to note. And we need to not miss. The word tongue that is used here is used three different ways throughout the New Testament. One of those ways is just to reference the body part. It's just to reference that little muscle that you and I have in our mouths. If you jump down to verse 9, there you're going to see one of those references. So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech, there he's just talking about your muscle in your mouth that is necessary for speaking that word is used elsewhere throughout the new testament and it just refers to a body part then you have a singular use of the word tongue and the only place that that 
occurs and is given the definition of mysterious utterances or intelligible speech or unintelligible speech is in 1 Corinthians 14. And then you have the word tongues, plural, being used throughout the New Testament to refer to languages. We're going to step through that a little bit more. Next week we're going to go into Acts and we're going to look at how the, the, the word tongues is used because I think the definition of the gift of tongues comes from the book of Acts. We're going to go there and we're going to tease that out together and look at that. But there's a distinction to be understood between the plural gift of tongues and a tongue. We're going to see some of that come to life here. So the tongue that Paul tells them that he doesn't want them chasing. Because in contrast between prophecy and tongues, or a tongue, it's not a tongue that he wants them after. It's prophecy. That's what he said, especially that you may prophesy. And then he gives then the explanation to that. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. So one of the definitions we have for a tongue is that you're speaking to God, not to men. Or people. The word people shows up in verse 3. No one understands him. Nobody gets what's been said. He continues. He utters mysteries in the Spirit. And then as we jumped ahead real quickly to verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Now the contrast that Paul has been teasing out is between a tongue and prophecy. And so here then we learn in the beginning of verse 3, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people. That's the exact same word as men that you heard in verse 2. People and men, it's the same idea. And does so for their upbuilding, encouragement, in consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So let's just put these side by side together because there we begin to see the difference and the distinction that happens that Paul is indicating is at play, is before us. So a tongue, singular, is the speaking to God in a language that nobody else is going to understand, and it's mysterious. And Paul does say that that individual is built up. But he's contrasting that with prophecy. and says that the gift of prophecy is the speaking to people. That builds up the church. It encourages those in the church. It comforts those in the church. The church. So here, here's what I make of this. It, it appears that the people in the church in Corinth had placed a high degree of emphasis on, on this, this ability or expression of spirituality that included language that couldn't be understood. And those individuals who spoke that way perhaps propped themselves up 
or we're propped up by others as being uniquely or more intensely spiritual because they were doing something spectacular. And in the beginning of chapter 12, Paul, Paul tries to flatten the list of gifts to say that all gifts, it's actually verse 11 of chapter 12, all gifts are empowered by one and the same spirit. All gifts are supernatural. So he flattens the list. But then in verse, or chapter 14, he returns to this idea of mysterious utterances, of speech that is not intelligible. And he says, look, if you had to choose, choose the speech that people can understand. Choose the speech that people can get. Now, in doing so, he actually acknowledges that speaking in mysterious utterances builds up the person speaking. But there's no corporate aspect to that. There's no collective aspect to that. And I will go as far to say there's no command that you and I should actually pursue that. Okay, so let me just kind of work back what I've said. Because I, I know people who have told me, I, I, in my prayer life, I, I speak in languages that I can't understand. Okay, what I think Paul here is saying is that you might find benefit. You might be built up if that takes place. But that does not benefit the body. Because the body doesn't understand what's going on. The body doesn't understand what's being heard. That there might be some value in your spiritual life, if in your prayer and devotional life, that is, that is something that happens, but there's no value in the corporate gathering because the church is not built up. I mean, he said that specifically. The one who speaks up or speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And so you have this a-tongue, singular, which is this mysterious speaking that is not intelligible, that is not understandable, that may have some value personally in your devotional life, but does not have value in the corporate body. And it doesn't have value for the corporate body because that's not a spiritual gift. That's not what Paul wrote about in chapter 12, where he says that there was, the, there was, there was tongues, plural, in the interpretation of tongues. Prophecy, however, in contrast to these mysterious utterances, builds up the church. It speaks to people. People can understand it. It encourages them. It comforts them and, and in 1 Corinthians 8, 14, it, it, it can be often used to support the speaking of these mysterious utterances because Paul does not forbid it. And while that's true and it's not forbidden, I don't think he actually encourages it either. Well, next week we'll step into where he says in, I believe it's verse 19, I would rather speak five words that could be understood than 10,000 words that would not be. 
So he seems to acknowledge that there's some value in this mysterious utterances that are a part of like a personal prayer life that, that you are built up and encouraged with, but it does not have value in the corporate gathering. And as he builds out that argument and begins in verse 6, giving analogies and illustrations and ways to understand that, he's going to very clearly say it doesn't have value in the corporate life. It's because the church isn't built up. It's just the individual. So, so, so to that, I, we, we just kind of need to, to see this distinction here that, that there, there might be these mysterious utterances that, that somebody personally might be benefited from and built up by and there could be some value to. But that's not a spiritual gift and it's not for the corporate body. So it's not something you and I are supposed to go chase. It's not some type of confirmation of greater spiritual status. I mean, this would be a point where we, where we have a, a pretty stark distinction between Pentecostal churches that say you have to have a second blessing of the Spirit and you know when it happens if you speak in languages that nobody can understand. And we, we draw a pretty big distinction at that point. On some of these things. So I'm just simply saying there may be these mysterious utterances. Those are not the gift. That's not tongues. There could be value personally. But there's not for, and it is not for the corporate body. Now my encouragement to you would be to place a far greater emphasis on God's word and the understanding of it than what might be mysterious. Aim for clarity. Aim for an understanding of what God has revealed. But Paul doesn't seem to forbid this prayer language, if you will, although he doesn't encourage it. And he does indicate its value is limited. So the one who prophesies builds up the church. They encourage the church. They comfort the church. The, the word building up is just what we've been thinking about all along. And that word shows up all throughout 1 Corinthians 14. The word encouragement there means to, to exhort somebody. It's the idea of just of, of, of helping somebody keep their eyes on Jesus. That in the midst of the difficulties of life, that you give somebody encouragement to keep going. In our Sunday school class this morning, we were looking at Hebrews 11 and 12. And in Hebrews 12, the writer there says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off the sin that entangles us and the weights that cling to us. And let us look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's what Paul says the gift of prophecy does. It's it's you at the right time when you might not even know it's the right time. It's just you're obeying the Lord and the Spirit as he lays somebody on your heart to remind them of something that the scriptures say or that God brought to mind for them to encourage them. And as we thought about through chapter 12, I think the gift of prophecy we see and we just call more often than not, God laying on my heart. 
I was praying this week, I was reading my Bible, and God brought you to mind, and he just laid on my heart that this passage would be something I needed to share with you. That's, the, that's New Testament prophecy. That is what he wants us doing. That's encouragement. And consolation there, it's, it's the word comfort. It even has an idea of encouragement there as well. And so the one with a tongue, singular, speaks not to men. But the one who prophesies speaks to men. Builds up the church, encourages the church, comforts the church. And then in verse 5, Paul begins to now use the plural form of the word tongues. And it's as if he's introducing a whole other idea. It's almost like he's contradicting himself, but I think there's some clarity we can find. Now I want you all to speak in tongues. And you're like, wait a minute, Paul, I thought you just said you didn't want us to do that. Why are you now telling us to do that? Well, I think the difference is that the singular and the plural. I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So there you see that tongues, plural, if an interpretation is there, does have the ability to build up the church. But he had just said a tongue, singular, does not build up the church. So how do we, how do we make sense of that? And like I said, we're going to step into Acts next week and try to give some definition to that. But just to give you some definition here that we've seen, tongues there on the right hand side, we're told in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, are given for the common good. It's one of the gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12. And we're now told in 1 Corinthians 14 that if understood, tongues builds up the church. Well, what we need to not miss is the emphasis on understanding is the emphasis on the ability to understand. Because from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, God has revealed himself to us as a God who wants to be understood. And to that end, he's even, he's even constrained himself with language to do so. Because language is a created thing. Language, as something created, can in no way fully articulate and unpack the Creator. But God has chosen to constrain Himself to words so that we might understand who He is. A tongue, singular, is mysteries that nobody can understand. Tongues can be understood. It's the difference between the gift of tongues, plural, and a tongue, which would be the speaking in mysteries to God. So let me give you the definitions that we're going to unpack next week a little further. going to seek to show you from the book of Acts where I believe these, these words, or at least the plural of tongues, gets its definition. A tongue is clearly defined in 1 Corinthians 14 for us. It's mysterious utterances. It's speech that's not intelligible. But tongues, we're told, can have understanding. There can be interpretation. 
So there a tongue, singulars, mysterious utterances, and plural, would be known languages unknown to the speaker. So the interpretation of tongues would be the interpretation of languages unknown. So this past Monday, I drove with some buddies, some pastor friends of mine, and we went to Ocean City, and we suffered for Jesus on the beach and had some meetings, and it was great. Actually, I never touched the beach. I did take a run on the boardwalk, and it was not sunny and a little bit rainy. So it was, yeah, not, not the best weather we've ever had. Uh, nevertheless, at this retreat, there were two brothers from the Central African Republic there. One of them's name is Jonas Bovan, and he is the executive secretary of the churches in Africa, Karis Fellowship Churches, Grace Brethren Churches. He is one of us. We are one of him. He leads and gives direction to 3,700 churches, well over 300,000 people. The, the Grace Brethren Church in Africa is light years bigger than the Grace Brethren Church in America. I mean, it's not even close. The other gentleman was Dr. Francois Umgape, who is the director of the seminary in the Central African Republic. Uh, Jonas Bovan is not either proficient enough in English or does not know English, and so he did not speak to us in English, but Francois Umgape did, and so they did that translation thing. And Pastor Bovan chose to speak in French, and... Francois Mgape translated him into English. So the interpretation of tongues would be me sitting in the room and being able to understand French. I've never studied French. I know very few French words like merci, I believe, is thank you, but I could be wrong about that. Uh, I think we oui is yes, but that's about the extent of my French knowledge. If I was able to understand the words that he was saying... That would be the interpretation of tongues. That would be the spiritual gift of interpretation. It didn't happen. I sat there knowing this Sunday was coming. I was like, well, that would be kind of cool. It didn't happen. Um, and in some regards, it didn't need to happen. Because there was a translator there. There was understanding that was given to us. The speaking in tongues is the speaking in Known languages, unknown to the speaker, and where there's understanding that comes as a result of it, the church is built up. The church is strengthened. It is a spiritual gift. It is something the Lord does use. Now, quite frankly, in a gathering like this where we all speak English, I don't think we should ever expect it to be here. Because it's not needed. We just need to understand the English words. We don't need to worry and bother ourselves about trying to, to impress each other with the ability to say stuff that can't be understood. We just need to understand what God's word says. But like I told you last week, if I was back in China and for whatever reason, not ever having studied Chinese, end up with the ability to speak in Chinese, somebody to tell them about Jesus, that would be the gift of tongues. And that didn't happen. It's been cool, but it didn't happen. But I got a buddy that 
I went to school with who lived in an apartment right next to Carrie and I when we were in married housing. He is on the front lines of translating the Bible for a people group that doesn't even have an alphabet. Like, yeah, those people still exist. In, in our information-saturated world, that's a bit mind-blowing. But there are people groups that, that are just trying to have a written language. But the goal is to take then their written language and translate the scriptures into that language so they can read and understand the New Testament. I'd say, hey, Spirit might be doing something there. Known languages unknown to the speaker. Could be one expression, maybe today in our world, where we see the gift of tongues at work. And where there's understanding, the church is built up. People are strengthened. They're encouraged. It's a spiritual gift for the common good. And we're going to see that on display in Acts 2 and Acts 10 and Acts 19 next week. And we'll step through more of 1 Corinthians 14 as Paul continues to make this distinction between these mysterious utterances and known languages unknown to the speaker. But here, here's what I want us to do as, as we end. And the band's going to come up and they're going to they're gonna lead us. And I know some of you laugh when I say the band because it's just Jen and Damien uh, to this morning. But uh, they're going to come up and they're going to lead us as we just think about these things in response. Uh, the, the question this morning is not just how do we have more information. It's how are we moving from observation to participation How are we putting our focus and attention on the call we've been given to make disciple-making disciples? What are we doing in living our lives and surrender to the Lord and building up the body? I think the gift of tongues is still for today. I don't think we're going to see it here, quite frankly. But it doesn't mean it's not for today. But God has given all of us different gifts, a variety of those gifts. And he wants us to use them and serve with them and build up the body through them. 1 Corinthians 14 is not just about facts and information, although there's a lot of it in there. It's a reminder to us, are we using the gifts that we've been given for the purpose of building up the body in love? So as they lead us and we close, would you stand and just think through the Lord and what he's done for us?